What I really need is a coffee this morning. Oh, anyway, I believe coffee is on after service. Actually, this is, uh, it's dangerous this morning because I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Um, I got up this morning, and uh, so we have an espresso maker. So you can only fit, you know, mugs that are so tall underneath. And I like maple syrup in my coffee as a sweetener, nice natural sweetener, cool flavor. And so I got my mug out, I put the syrup in it, I set up my coffee machine, went, oh, uh, this mug doesn't fit under here, so I looked for another mug. Uh, put the mug that I was gonna use back in the counter, um, started setting up to use a smaller mug, and went, what is this spill all over the counter? Couldn't figure it out, grabbed a cloth, wiped it up, wow, it's really sticky, I don't know what that was. And my daughter's watching me going, do you need some help this morning? <laughs> I think you need some support. Because then I went to pl plug the toaster in and it was on a cutting board and it, yeah, it was just like, it's dangerous. I'm glad I don't operate heavy equipment. I just have to preach. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> ah. We are in Numbers chapter 20 this morning, so if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, Numbers chapter 20. How many of you are watching the Olympics right now? All right, uh, women's uh, hockey team's doing awesome. They're killing everybody, including the American team, so um, uh, one four to two. But every other game, it's been like 11 to one or 12 to one or something. Anyway, um, isn't it just devastating, though, when you get to the gold medal game and they lose? I don't want to jinx it, but last time that's what happened. Um, do you remember the first time your favorite team lost in the playoffs? Like the very first time, maybe when you were a kid. 1982. <laughs> Was that devastating or what, Lance? The Stanley Cup Finals, the Canucks and the Islanders, and that, you know, Richard Brodeur was this on-fire rookie goalie who, like, could shut down anything, and they lost four straight. I remember that because I think I cried. I think, like, I was 10 years old, right? Yeah, 10 or 11, and it was just... Oh my goodness, and like this, it was just that moment. There's the jersey right there. He's, he's, he's wearing it, uh, that era. And it was just like, but you know, honestly, that's the last time I was really invested in any finals. <sighs> I guess this will come up in freedom session on one of my journal entries about the emotional wounds that I need to go back and revisit and heal. But finishing well is sometimes so hard. Uh, you, 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 you go through and, and you get to a certain point and, and sometimes there's just a breaking point. And today we kind of see that in Moses' journey. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. The, the, the setting here is that the people of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness now for 40 years. It's the end of the journey. Like this is the last quarter. It's the last few minutes of the last quarter of the game. And here we are, just going to read from uh, verses 1 to 13. Let's stand together as we read God's word. 
And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought us brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out, out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? This is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water for us to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before your eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. This is the word of the Lord. So this whole chapter is, is a key turning point. Uh, Miriam dies at the beginning. Aaron dies at the end of this chapter. That's kind of the brackets around this. Key leaders of Israel are dying here. And if we go ahead uh, to uh, Numbers chapter 33, verse 38, we, we are told there that this is the 40th year after the nation came out of Egypt that Aaron died. And so Aaron, Aaron's death marks the end of the wilderness wandering. So we're at the end of the story, kind of. There's more to come. But this is 40 years after the Exodus. Therefore, this, the, and what was the very first issue that Moses had to deal with? There's no water here. We're going to die of thirst. Exodus chapter 17 so it's kind of full circle. We've come, we're, we're with a new generation, a new group of people. The, the generation that rebelled that we looked at last week, Numbers chapter 13 and 14, has died in the wilderness. That's why these people say, would, we, would that we have just died in the wilderness? They've died off. This is the new generation. This is generation that's gonna go into the promised land, but they start at the same issue. Questioning God's provision for them. And that's our first, first point today, is that unfaithfulness leads to a pattern of sin. That's the, the first section here. Unfaithfulness leads to a pattern of sin. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and they quarreled. And they say, this, this just isn't the place, and this is an evil place. You notice, you know, God said, I'm going to bring you to a good land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and 40 years earlier, the spies came back with these very things, figs and vines and pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. So they're seeing this as we have come to a place of evil. And they are calling evil what God has promised would be good for them. Generations of Israelites have rebelled against God, complained about their circumstances, grumbled against the leadership, and they desire to return to a previous life of slavery. Why on earth did you bring us out of Egypt in the first place? You know, and just think about it. What have these people been through now? For 40 years, they've been wandering around the wilderness. They've had manna every day. And yeah, I mean, eating the same thing every day would get a little boring, right? They've had water. The Deuteronomy tells us, Moses is like, your shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Your clothes didn't wear out. God has been with you the whole way for 40 years. And now this. But unfaithfulness leads to a pattern of sin. I mean, how often do we struggle with the same sins, the same habits that we formed over our lives? You know, the, the reality is we find comfort and even temporary pleasure in, in escape from our pain and the emptiness of our lives through repeated sins because we always think something could be better and, and that the current situation just isn't what God wants for us. Now, how might they approach this situation differently? Moses, there's no water here, food's scarce. Um, we've been wandering around for generations. We've seen a whole generation die because of rebellion against God. How about you just go and ask God for a solution to this? That might have been the better option. But instead they quarrel and they fight and they complain and they give in to a repeated pattern of sin. You know, water and food, these are legitimate needs, right? We all need food and water. But uh, to, to quote... Um, Quote Ken Dick out of Freedom Session, pursuing legitimate needs through illegitimate means is sin. To pursue legitimate needs through illegitimate means is sin. They went after this through complaining and arguing and distrust in the God who has walked with them so closely, so in so many real ways they have seen his hand and his power. So unfaithfulness leads to a pattern of sin. What is it that you run to to escape the pain and conflict in your life, and how is that working out? Are, are you facing the pain, resolving the conflicts, living a life of peace, joy, and fulfillment, or do you just kind of fall back into the, the habits like the people of God here do, rebelling against God, complaining about the circumstances, grumbling about leadership? Desiring just to go back to the way it was, even if it was slavery. Unfaithfulness leads to a pattern of sin. They could have approached this another way. Well, let's turn to Moses and Aaron. Unfaithfulness, the second point, unfaithfulness results from a failure to trust God. Whatever it is that, that, you know, people have kind of argued about what exactly, you know, why does God come down so hard on, on Moses and Aaron in this situation? Um, God says it quite clearly, you didn't believe me. You failed to trust me. It was a crisis of faith. 
Moses and Aaron started out well, didn't they? As people's complaining again, let's go talk to God about it. They fall on their faces before God. They intercede. They do the right thing. They have reverence for God and they receive revelation from him. But notice that revelation from God and reverence for God doesn't necessarily mean obedience to God. You know, I think of some of the some of the scariest passages in the Bible are things like, and I think it's Matthew 7, that they will, they will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we in your name drive out demons and perform miracles and do wondrous signs? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Forty years of following God, leading his people, receiving revelation after revelation. What does, why, why does Moses lose it at this point? What pushes him over the edge? You know, maybe it's just 40 years of this kind of stuff has finally just caused him to snap. You know, Moses and Aaron gathered the people. They take the staff, they approach the rock, and then it all falls apart. Moses doesn't speak to the rock. He speaks to the people. He lashes out in frustration against the people. Look what it says here. And Moses lifted up his hand. Now, now, interestingly, the word for lifted up here is the word for exalted or to raise on high. It's like when you lift up the name of God, this is the verb that's used. It, it's a statement of pride. He lifts up his hand and he says to the people, you bunch of rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, God had said, so you will bring water out of this rock, but just speak to it. But he lifts up his hand. He is taking a place of ownership here that did not belong to him. Not only did Moses refuse to speak to the rock first, he refused to speak to it at all. Moses was in clear rebellion against God's word to him. And in doing so, he minimized the miracle and drew attention to himself instead of God's glory. He took ownership for what God intended to do. And this is just a perennial temptation for any of us, but especially those of us in leadership, using God's word or God's blessing to further my agenda and my personal gain. Unfaithfulness results in a failure to trust God. And look at that. Look what he says. Because you did not believe in me. It's a crisis of faith more than anything. And uphold my name as holy. Uphold me as holy. Set apart distinct perfect in the eyes of the people of Israel. And this is what brings the judgment of God. Third thing, unfaithfulness brings the judgment of a holy God. Now, striking the rock was only a symptom of a deeper issue. Look at that again in verse 12. You know, just look at those words in your Bible in verse 12. Because you did not believe in me, and uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. Moses and Aaron, it's not just your crisis of faith. You have undermined the faith of the nation. That's what's at stake here. And, and, and this is the pressure as, as leaders, what we have. James chapter 3, 1. None of you should, not many of you should claim to be teachers because you know that you're going to be judged more harshly. 
I remember, I think it was my first year at Briarcrest Bible College when there, was a, there, there used to be a faculty chapel. And, uh, and one of my favorite professors, he taught Old Testament, uh, Ken Ginter, uh, stood up and read that passage and just wept under the weight of it. You know, Ben and I, the elders and other ministry leaders, have this weight on us. We have to uphold God as holy in front of the community. And this is what Moses and Aaron in this moment fail to do, and it affects the community. You know. And they, they sin because ultimately it's a heart issue. It's a lack of belief. Sin is ultimately a heart issue more than it is an action. Sin is missing the mark, living in opposition to God's purposes and instructions. It's a failure to believe who God is and that he is holy. Now, does, does the response of God here seem harsh? Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Now, what, what did God call Moses to do? Lead the people out of Israel and take them, lead them into the land I'm giving as a gift. He misses out on the end of the story. But it, it's like for, for, he played regular season awesome. The, the, the playoffs were going good. It's just in that last minute and a half of the game, things fell apart. If the judgment of God seems harsh or unfair here, it's because we think that all the years of service and intercession and the good stuff that Moses and Aaron did and how they, how they, how they led God's people for 40 years, if, if it seems harsh because we look at, look at their track record and say, but they did so well, that reveals we don't really understand the depth and severity of sin. And that somewhere in there, we believe God owes us for doing enough good things for him. And that in itself is sinful because at that point, I elevate my evaluation as, as what is good enough for God to meet his standards. And then I place my standards above his. You know, and it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of navigate this sometimes because I, I've, I've sat across the table of, of, of someone who has lost a spouse and is just like, well, I hope they did enough good things. And I'm like, I hope that's not what you're trusting in. You know, did the balance sheet, how did the balance sheet work out? Did I give enough? Did I do enough? Did I serve enough? None of that matters because only Jesus has done enough, paid enough, served enough for the sin in my life and in your life and it is only the blood of Jesus that allows us to be holy in his sight and acceptable to him to enter his promised land. Look again at verse 13, the closing of this passage. 
the narrator comes in here and says, these are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. In this situation, God still shows himself holy. Actually, the word for holy is kadosh, kadesh. The place name is after the word holy. There's this verb here that God has revealed his holiness in the midst of this. In the place of strife is the place where the holiness of God is revealed and God still provided water from the rock. He still extended mercy to his people, though his leaders messed it up. Now remember in the other situation, there was like the water from the rock, but it was bitter and Moses had to huck some sort of wood into it, make it taste better. Here God provides abundantly, even in the midst and out of an act of rebellion, God's mercy still provides for his people. And through his justice, even though it may seem over the top to us, God reveals his holiness. How does all this point point us to Jesus? What's the gospel connection here? We made this connection in Exodus 17, where Moses was instructed to strike the rock. (laughs) And the rock symbolized God's mercy and God's provision for his people. And Paul identifies this rock as Christ in 1 Corinthians 10.4. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. God's holiness and his mercy are shown here. His judgment and his grace, his love and his wrath. But only at the cross of Christ are these fully and finally revealed. Because sinful, selfish people condemned Jesus to death, but God was doing something more. He was showing himself holy and providing life for his people. Unfaithfulness leads to a pattern of sin, results from a failure to trust God, and will bring the judgment of a holy God. In Numbers 22 key truths of the gospel are foreshadowed. Sin must and will be punished by a holy God. And yet, God still offers grace to discontent sinners. He accomplishes both of these holy expectations through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so think about your own life. Think, think, think through this. First of all, or, or three questions the head. In what areas of your life are you struggling to trust God? It, it, it may not be that you're doing something wrong. It's just that you're struggling in an area of belief and of trust. Confess that to God in prayer. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sometimes sin is just a failure to trust what God has already revealed to us and to walk in faith. Second, how will you obey the Lord today because of his holiness displayed in the cross of Christ? 
Romans chapter 6. Verses 20 to 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it end and its end eternal life. Now, now we all know Romans 3:23 pretty well. I just want you to hear those words from, from, from 20 to 22 again, because I think we, we often miss this. There's, there's this fruit element here. But what fruit were you getting at that time and from the things which you are now ashamed? What was life like? Before Jesus. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, a purification of your life, an ongoing renewal, and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how will you obey the Lord today because of his holiness displayed in the cross of Christ? And what are some ways then, practically, that you can love, serve, and lead others so they can know Jesus by faith, so that people will see through your obedient life that God is holy? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us today. And Lord, we look at the example of Moses and Aaron and we see these great pillars of faith. Like Moses wrote this stuff for us to read. You called him out of isolation and out of hiding in the desert. And you, you, you put the words in his mouth and, and he got to see you as, as a man speaks to a friend in the tent of meeting and on Mount Sinai. And you gave him this awesome responsibility of leading a nation for 40 years. And yet, in the last few minutes of the game, he flubs it. Lord, help us to cling to you and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to run the race marked out for us, throwing off the sin that entangles and the stuff that weighs us down so that we can pursue you and your purposes in the midst of this generation that you have called us to live in and lead in so that you may be known as holy. And the way to your holiness through Jesus Christ would just be manifest in our lives, in our words, in our thoughts every single day day. Go with us, Lord, in this week, and may we live pursuing you and aligning our lives with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand for the benediction.
Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week.